Welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast with Joshua Latimer, where we discuss business, life, family, faith, struggle, fire, pain, and ultimately winning. It's time to take massive action. Look, I, I can't work harder on your life or business than you do. It's ultimately all on you. You know, God created all the food the birds would ever need, but he doesn't put it in their nest. You've got to go get it. 10 out of 10 people die. So how about doing something today that actually matters while you still can? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast. Hope you're having a great weekend, and I hope you're enjoying this special three-part series, the Epic Webinar Series. Um, I remember when I made this. It was <laughs> I definitely talked a little slower back then, and maybe you'll like hear the differences and stuff. I was just kind of beginning to like actually formally teach people things, and I hadn't done a lot of webinars. I hadn't. I had actually. I think I just started this podcast like a month before. Um, not even sure if I had released it yet. I think I pre-recorded a couple episodes <laughs> in advance, but. The content's really good, and I know they're long, uh, but that's okay. You can bookmark them, you can come back to them, and you can take notes. There's a lot of gold in there uh, in the way that we break it down, and my job's to provide value to you. So I hope this is uh, doing that. This is the last session. It's about how do you build a sellable business, why should you build a sellable business, how does all that work, and a whole bunch of other good stuff kind of all packed into one. So I uh, hope you enjoy, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Take care. God bless. Welcome, guys, to part three of the Automate, Grow, and Eventually Sell Your Business, the epic webinar. This is the best part, I think. I think. I like I think this will be the most fun out of the three. I'm joined by Chris Lambernini's again. My name is Joshua Latimer. Both of us have founded, built, and scaled, and then exited and sold cleaning companies. Mine in Michigan. Chris is in New Jersey. So we have some experience with the the idea of automating and systematizing a small service business. And our goal is to help you understand how to do the same thing. I am in beautiful Costa Rica. I got, like I said, the first two webinars, monkeys running all over the place in the trees behind my house here. And Chris is in New Jersey. He probably has squirrels running behind his house, right? You're on a farm, aren't you, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I live on an old farm property and it's uh, it's kind of woodsy. It's nice. It's a beautiful day in Vernon, like always. Yep, absolutely. I love the woodsiness. People don't know that New Jersey is actually green, lush, hilly, mountainous, and and open. It's not just like the cement, crazy compound full of Jersey Shore people, right? I live so far out in the woods, I get no cell phone reception here. It's great. That can be a beautiful thing as long as uh, you can make it work. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Well, when you have a business and you have flexibility in the way that you run your business because you've automated things and you've built it the right way, you can take a few days without cell phone service and everything will be just fine, right? Totally. So let's get started. Part three, sell, right? So some people have a problem with this webinar. I've already got comments before we even launch the webinar about, dude, I don't want to sell my business. Don't teach me how to sell my business. Stop panicking, okay? You, you do want to be able to sell your business in case things change. So let's say that you don't want to sell your business. I'm still going to make the argument to you that you still want to own a business that you could sell in case something happened, right? Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, the, the time will come where you're either sick of it, 
It, it may not even be on your radar. Uh, the time may come where you have to sell it for personal reasons. Um, there's every reason in the world to set your business up the right way from the beginning so it can be sold. Maybe you want to pass it along to your kids. Don't you want to pass it along to them in the best shape possible? Don't you want to make it as valuable as possible? Right, and there's some other benefits. What if you get hurt? What if you fall off a ladder? What if, what if something horrible happens? God forbid, What? If, how will you make income, right? Well, if you have a business that could be sold, right, it's a sellable asset, then guess what? It still is going to kick off income to you, even though you're laid up in a hospital bed for a month, right? That's really, yeah. the, that's really the key. I think that's really what we mean by how to sell your business kind of is a little misleading. We mean how to have the type of business that is profitable without you involved in the day-to-day that you could sell if you needed to. Build it. Build it to sell it, even if you have no intentions of doing it. Yeah. Now, I tried to buy it. Well, I didn't try to buy it, but there's this little tiny speck of a company in a town near me in my hometown. And this guy came to me, super nice guy, you know, likable. And uh, he comes to me. He's like, Josh, I'm moving to Florida. You know, I want to talk to you about buying my business out. Well, I was pretty early in the process myself, but I, you know, I knew enough to, to have a conversation with the guy. So I said, okay, you know, prepare me, you know, an NDA and prepare me. What, what's that? Well, okay, forget about the NDA, no big deal. Just bring me over, you know, some some metrics and some financials. Well, what do you mean by financials? What what's that? Well, okay, well, forget about that. Just bring me over your customer list. Well, I mean, I what do you mean? <laughs> so this literally happened. So I bring him over. We sit down for lunch, and he 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 lays out this like stack of coffee stained, crinkled, not stapled together pile of like Microsoft Outlook printed off pages of like contacts and i'm like what what is this he's like oh these are, are my customers and i'm like well how many are there he's like oh there's a couple hundred i'm like no exactly how many are there well about 200 i count them there's 114 right so he, this guy had no clue what was going on now here's the deal is he a bad person no he's a great person but he really screwed himself right because he didn't have an asset at all he was moving states and he had to get he got nothing for his business and guess who got all of his customers when he left i did because he wasn't ready he wasn't prepared and i would hate for that to happen to you guys out there so let's <laughs> let's dive into it you've probably had similar stories chris haven't you have you had people yeah yeah tons you? Of them. And the story you just laid out it's happened to me several times i've wanted to purchase a bunch of businesses but i couldn't because they were just in such poor shape they weren't worth anything it would be way easier for me to just scoop them up when he's gone with a little marketing right Absolutely. I mean, if you when you're when you're a sophisticated business owner and you understand your customer acquisition costs, you understand your competition, you understand the demographics and the markets that you're working in, where you're going to grow and where your future is going to come from, and and, a, and if someone wants you to buy their company, if they're not organized, you just smell blood in the water. You're just going to gobble up their whole business when they leave anyway. So who cares, right? Yeah. So look, you guys, you want to be able to sell if you changed your mind, or maybe some of you. You know, for me, from the very beginning, I always wanted to build and sell a business. That it's just like a personal accomplishment I wanted to achieve, and now I've done that. So, this is what I do sometimes when trying to make a decision. Me and my wife, she, I drive her crazy with this. But if if we if we don't know which way to go with something, I'll say Ben Franklin. Let's do a Ben Franklin, and we'll she'll roll her eyes and we'll grab a piece of paper. I'll draw a line down the middle. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you just you just list out the pros and cons and it sounds simple because it is but it can actually be really powerful sometimes it gets a little more clear when you can see it in front of you why do you call it a ben franklin because he was logical and he okay. was like right. he, he was always very rational he was all about reason and rationality i don't think i made it up i'm trying to remember where i i heard that it's probably in one of the books somewhere some guy mentioned it and it just stuck with me but you know basically the point is is if you're not sure, you know, what are the pros and cons of having a sellable business? Let's just list them out, right? It's simple. The pros are your business can create earnings, profit, cash flow, paycheck for you without you working in it. That's a pretty huge pro. Uh, it becomes an asset to your family, like Chris said. It's a legacy. He has kids. I have kids. I want to leave a legacy. Do you want to leave a legacy? Well, then you should have a sellable business. Your business will be fully systemized and automated because if it's not, then it's really not that sellable. So that's going to be something that will be in place. Um, if you get hurt, you still have an income. And guess what? People get hurt, man. Um, you'll be set up for huge scale. So if you want to grow rapidly, you need to architecture out your business so that it's a sellable framework, right? So that there's other people doing things and it's all delegated correctly and everything's in place and let me ask you this have you ever heard of a one-man show doing five million dollars in revenue chris i mean i haven't never no if you're uh an actor in hollywood you could be a one guy show doing five million dollars in revenue but uh i'm no thespian and i don't plan on being one and so my specialty is service businesses and all of you guys watching this webinar you're not there's going to be a ceiling that you're going to hit at some point and that will kind of be it. Unless you focus on building the, the framework today, you will hit your head on the ceiling at some point. Uh, let's look at the cons of selling, having a sellable business. And it's a short list. It's hard work up front, and you'll make less money in the short term. That's it. That's all I could think of. I, I sat here and stared at this page when I made this slide, and there are no cons. I mean, other than unless you're scared of work. Uh, yeah. or, you know. It, it, if you set your business up to be sold, not only are there no cons, but if you, in fact, do not ever sell your business, I guarantee you, your business will be more profitable for you. It'll be more organized. You'll have less headaches. You'll get much more time off. You'll be able to relax a little bit. There's, yep. there's many, many, many pros to it. Yeah, and your employees, your team members, their lives will be enhanced and better if you make the executive decision to do this, okay, they're going to get higher pay. They're going to have more perks, more benefits. They're going to have a more stable income, right? They're going to be able to actually have a career with you rather than a job. And there's a gigantic difference there. And you, you know, why wouldn't you want to provide careers for people, right? That's a powerful thing. Not everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. God made everybody different. And not everybody's supposed to be an entrepreneur. And that's perfectly natural, normal, and fine. But you, if you want to assemble a team of talented people to come alongside you and do something special and build something big and nice and profitable, you got to be building a sellable style type of business for them to have the incentive to come alongside of you. Even if you never have the intention to sell it. That's right. Even if you never have the intention to sell it, do this anyway. And it starts today and it can start small. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Before we even dive into it, let's talk about the difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. Okay? When you're self-employed, you basically own your own job. Okay? If you stop working, you stop eating. 
I don't think that's all bad. I still think being self-employed is highly preferable uh, for me and my personality type to being an employee. Like, I just felt like I was going to die when I was in my cubicle, right, <laughs> working at the <laughs> bank. I literally was like, oh, oh my God, oh my, I'd go on my lunch break and just, just sit there and be like, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, But, but being self-employed is not horrible, but it's not as good as being a business owner. Because a business owner, you own a long-term asset that produces cash regardless if you're working inside of it. There's a big, stark difference there, isn't there, Chris? Totally. You had, you had touched earlier on, you know, what if you get hurt on the job? That was my number one reason for setting my business up with systems and processes and setting it up to sell because I quickly realized – I'm doing crazy stuff on the top of a ladder every day and I I could easily get hurt and with the long with the with the wrong fall I could lose 6 months worth of income and I just couldn't do that. I, you know, I, I couldn't live like that. I needed to put some things in place and get some people on board to guarantee my income would continue regardless of what happened to me. Absolutely. And I have actually – I'm not an old guy. I'm young. I'm going to be 34 here next month. And I have a lot of guys in their 50s and even 60s reach out to me about systemizing their business or consulting them. And they're kind of like – their next horizon for them is retirement. And so maybe they're not scared that they're going to get hurt, but they're saying, how do I get out of this thing and still make money? Like, what are you going to do when you're getting older and your body's hurting and it's a little more, you're a little more sore than you used to be? That's kind of a panicky thing. I think if you're in your late 50s, you need to, you need to start thinking, okay, how am I going to transition? How am I going to transition? Guys, this is how you transition. You, you start rearranging things to build an automated systematized business that allows you to step aside for retirement or take a reduced role. You don't have to build a $10 million empire to benefit from this information. You can keep your business just like it is, but replace yourself, right? I talk to a a lot of window cleaning business owners, thousands of them each year, and I can count on one hand the amount of people that actually got an amount they were happy with after selling their business, literally on one hand. Um, Most people do not set their business up to be sold, and when the time comes, they're hurting because they get almost nothing for it. Yeah, because they really, they don't understand where the value in their business lies, and they put way too much of the value of the business on their own shoulders. And when you remove them, the business is done. Just like the guy in the example I gave, when he moves to Florida, his business is done. He doesn't have a business. They're calling that guy. Like his customers, they're not calling a window cleaning company. They're calling him. His name was Dave. They're saying, you know, where's Dave? So I I can't buy that business because when Dave's gone, the business is dead, right? So if I would have paid anything for it, which I didn't, uh, it would have been next to nothing. So, yeah, or again, if you just want to retire and, and keep it, this is the way to go for that, too. Okay, let's keep moving along here. What makes your business sellable? Now, this is an interesting topic. Uh, first of all, earnings. Second of all, systems. Third of all, documentation, being able to prove where you are today and all the stuff that happened to get you there, right? And then lastly, earnings. And no, that is not a typo. I put earnings in twice because it's a critical thing. Now, 
you might be able to like get your brother-in-law to go get an SBA loan and cash you out for above market value because you're really persuasive and he's an idiot. But in general, if you're going to sell your business to a sophisticated purchaser, someone who knows what's going on, the really the only thing that they're really concerned with for the most part is earnings. What kind of free cash flow does your business kick off? And 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 does it rely on you or does it rely on systems, right? So it has to be independent of your labor. Has to be. Absolutely. Has to be independent of your labor. Your your earnings should be kicking off daily. Earnings, 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 like a machine. I, some people call it a mousetrap. Is that from E-Myth, the mousetrap idea? Build a better mousetrap? I think it might be. But, you know, you need to build a mousetrap. It's a machine, a mechanism that kicks off earnings, and then you should be able to take your fingers off of it, and, oh, my gosh, it should still keep going. It's still churning. It's still The gears are still twisting. There's still, it doesn't have to be perfect, okay? But you got that's the goal, is to be able to take your fingers off of it and stare at it. And as I said in the webinar part two, the first time I left a crew on a job site without me, I went to a, to eat lunch with my mom, and I just felt weird. Like I had taken my fingers off that part of the mousetrap, like, and it was still doing stuff. Like they did a job, they got paid, the business got paid, there was profit there, and I didn't do it. They did, and what an incredible thing, right? Yeah. You know, and to get the earnings, you really need to put the systems in place. It's crucial to develop a system and a program and a set of guidelines that makes your business year in and year out create predictable revenue and earnings. Yeah, and a lot of guys, when they're small, this is very common. They have major misconceptions about what their earnings actually are. They think, you know, I see guys on, online talking about how they make 80% profit margin and stuff and they really they don't understand what they're saying they're, they do not make 80% profit margin they're very confused um, and you need to have some basic financial um, education to really understand how all this stuff works so I want to dive into a scenario here you know that song it's all about that bass it's all about that bass or whatever it's a horrible <laughs> rendition it's actually all about EBITDA right some of you probably know what EBITDA is, but a lot of you probably have no clue what it is. It's an acronym. It means earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. But saying it all, all long like that doesn't make it any less confusing. So <laughs> let me break it down a little more. Uh, it's not all about that base. It's all about earnings. And we're going to do a scenario of a guy named Bob. No, no, no. Let's do Pablo. This is the guy's name, Pablo. I like that. And Pablo does 100000 in revenue in his business, and he has 20% net profit. At least that's what he thinks he has. And he has uh, 2,000 hours of unpaid hours because this was Pablo's first year. And doing hundred grand your first year, that's pretty dang good. That's respectable. So yeah, he's got, for sure. He's got some swag going. Uh, but he didn't take a paycheck the first year because, you know, he just – the business was young, and he, he, he used the money for other stuff. So, And, and lastly, let's say he bought a $5,000 piece of equipment. Okay, So Pablo, he's rolling, right? So Pablo is a baller. No, Pablo is actually not a baller. The reason he's not a baller is because revenue does not make you awesome. Revenue does not make your business worth very much at all. And revenue is not what's going to get you across the finish line. So he does not have baller status. Now, earnings, on the other hand, <laughs> equals the baller status. Gives him an afro and a gold chain, you know, just because he has <laughs> earnings. But 
here's the point, okay? Let's break down what Pablo thinks his business is worth. He thinks that he made $20,000 in net profit, which is a 20% profit margin. And he thinks that's pretty good. He's bragging to his cousin Ernie and, and Marco or whatever his family members' names are. And he's like, dude, I did hundred grand my first year. I had a 20% you know, profit margin. I'm rocking, right? Yeah, 20000 in earnings. Uh, not really. Here's, here's, there's some problems in his accounting logic when it comes to earnings. One big looming elephant in the room that a lot of guys miss is their unpaid hours, okay? Entrepreneurs will come into their business, they will work 100 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, right? And maybe they take some paycheck of 500 bucks a week or something, right? And so when their business you know, kicks off some money, they think that that's all profit, but it's not. And the reason why is because Pablo doesn't have a sellable business until his business does two things, makes profit, and he isn't part of the process of him of the business making profit. Those two things have to happen. But in year one for Pablo, that hasn't happened yet, which is normal. And so we need to, to account for the market rate that he should have been paid for those 2,000 hours. Now, 20 bucks an hour, 2,000 hours, that's 40 grand. How am I doing, Chris? Is this, can you follow this so far? Oh, yeah, I'm following it. Okay, the, okay. The, 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 unfortunately, when you look at how much hours these people are putting in, most of the time it breaks down to them making less than minimum wage. Yeah, and in the in the early beginnings of a business, it's probably normal, but people never transition to the next leg of the race. They never, they, they get stuck in that zone where they don't really monitor how much they work. They just think that they have no choice and I don't know, they get trapped there, right? That's common. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with it at first. It just can't go on like that. Right. So Pablo, he does year one, does a hundred grand, twenty percent net profit, but he worked two thousand hours that he never paid himself for. So accounting wise, for the purpose of EBITDA, for the purpose of j- calculating his earnings, he's actually sitting at negative twenty thousand in earnings. Right. <laughs> so from a buy from a buy a guy's business standpoint, let's say that I'm the investor and he wants out after year one, and he's like, Josh, listen. I got to roll back down to uh, southern Mexico with my hombres, uh, and I want to sell my business, okay? And I'm like, all right, Pablo, what would you do in revenue? I did 100 grand, Josh. Wow, way to go, man. That's really good. That's impressive. Nice work. Um, what were your earnings? Oh, they were 20000 And then I say, well, how many hours did you work? Oh, and we figured out, oh, no, Pablo, your earnings were negative 20000 So what exactly would I be buying, Pablo? Well, I, I, got, I have all these customers, and... I have some equipment and blah blah blah, you know. And he wants me to buy his business for let's say fifty grand. As an investor, it's literally insane if I buy that business because he actually doesn't have a business yet. He only has a self-employed job, at least so far. He needs more time to flip it to a business, and he's not there yet. And the reason is is because he's too involved in the process. When Pablo moves to Southern Mexico. We're done. We're dead in the water because I got to pay a guy forty grand to do the stuff that he just did, right? And I will lose twenty grand after paying fifty for the business. I'll be I'll be seventy in the hole if I run another year like that. So, from an investment perspective, it doesn't make sense. Now, the good news is a small caveat because he bought five thousand dollars in equipment. Technically, from an accounting perspective, you can add that back into your earnings because that thing that he bought was profit and he decided to reinvest that profit in some piece of equipment that helps him do his job better 
So his net his earnings were actually negative fifteen thousand. But I hope you get my point. Okay, I'm not trying to confuse you, and I hope that that isn't what happened there. But I want you to understand that you're, a lot of the people watching this webinar are probably still in the self-employed category, and that's perfectly natural and normal, and it's okay. We need to help you flip and convert into the business owner category. How did I do, Chris? You're dead on. Okay, perfect. So when you're in your business, you got the chest hair rocking <laughs> up your V-neck. Yeah, I don't know where I found these icons, but as soon as I saw them, I instantly paid, I think I paid a dollar for them. And I just was like, those that's the one. That's what I need for our webinar. Um, anyway, so when you're inside your business, there's less earnings. There's, it's less sellable. It's more risky. And it's way less baller, man. But when you're outside, it's, there's more earnings. It's more sellable. It's actually less risky. And it's, it's just better. It's just better in every category. So let's recap EBITDA, which just means earnings, okay? First of all, your earnings need to be made with you outside of the business, okay? You can't be working in the business. And you need to focus on the EBITDA, not just uh, revenue, not just getting new customers, not just sales, not just doing a good job with your service. You need to focus on the earnings itself. And that's something that you can track in real time as you go. So the earnings recap is this. Get out of the business day to day. Focus on the earnings and try to grow the earnings and you do that by growing revenue, of course, but you can also do it by just be, being more profitable, having higher prices, by doing things a little different internally. Um, because your business is going to sell for a multiple of your earnings. And the more systemized your business is, the higher the multiple is. Anything I'm missing or you'd like to add in that, Chris? Yeah, no, that, that pretty much covers it. I, I can't stress the systemization aspect of it enough. Um, you should literally be able to hand over a buyer a binder. And in that binder, you could have an exact instruction manual on how to run all aspects of your business. Everything from uh, how you get the phone to ring, to how you close them, to how the services perform, to how you follow up, to how your records are kept, and how you remarket. And it doesn't take a lot to put that together. If you work on it slowly, you can put that in place, and it'll make the whole thing so much more valuable. Yeah, I mean, you should be able to take your business and switch ownership to a 77-year-old grandma who has no business experience. And she should be able to own your company, and it should be profitable, and it should continue to grow underneath her ownership, all because your systems were that good. That's the goal, right? Yeah, and, and you could even use that before you sell it. That's how you use it to put a, an operations manager in place and say, Here, here's your instruction manual, son. Get to work. Yes, exactly. And the McDonald's example, again, which I've used before, is you have a, a, a million-dollar building full of 15-year-olds, and the thing is just a cash cow, right? Just churning out fries, churning out Diet Cokes and low-quality burgers, and just one after another after another. And you don't have to be a genius to own a McDonald's franchise. They've already done everything. You make the investment, you buy the real estate, you put the building up. That's where the risk exposure is for that particular business. But the point is, is that they literally give you the, the proverbial binder that says, oh, you want more sales? Oh, this is what you do to, to make that happen. Oh, you want to get a second location? This is how you do that to me. Oh, you want to hire someone? Oh, this is how you do it. Oh, you want to fire someone? This is how you, everything's done. It's already figured out. 
And the cool part about it is it's set up so if you walk into a McDonald's in Costa Rica or in New Jersey, the burger you get is going to look and taste exactly the same. You will not be able to tell the difference. And I can attest to that because I did go to McDonald's in Costa Rica, and it was the same. They had a couple different menu items to, to accommodate the local culture here. But the, the point is this. Your service business, build it so that a 15-year-old could run it. And I, most service businesses are too technical. I get it. It's not the same as McDonald's, but it's the metaphor that I want you to grasp. I'm not saying literally 15-year-olds can run it. What I'm saying is simplify Every thing that's a repeat procedure in your business, systemize everything that is systemizable in your business and keep it organized and nice and neat. Start small and work on making it more complex. But the goal should be having that consistent product delivered to your customer without you touching the thing. Don't touch the mousetrap, right? Yeah. And they say in the e-myth quite a bit, you should be able to put these systems in the hands of somebody with the lowest amount of knowledge about this and it should be replicatable. Absolutely. Now, being that businesses sell for a multiple of their earnings typically, now people are going to argue about this, and, I, and a business will sell for whoever is willing to pay whatever for it. So I'm talking general rules in the industry, more from like an MBA perspective, right? A business management guy, uh, is going to look at a deal based on earnings. And typically, a sophisticated buyer will pay a multiple of your earnings. And you're going to have to prove to them what your earnings are through taxes and through good bookkeeping and accounting and record keeping. You always need to be above board with that stuff uh, or else you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot later. It just doesn't make sense. Play the long game. Delay your gratification a little bit and build a real asset. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, I can't stress the bookkeeping aspect of it enough. It doesn't take that much extra work each day to keep superb records so you can generate a good income statement, so you can make sure everything's lined up. And by doing that, it'll also help you make better decisions in the business that will just further its growth and earnings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If any of you watching this webinar right now, if you have a pressure or a window cleaning business or really any cleaning business, if you're looking to sell now and your business is kind of at this point, if it has some systems in place, if it's, if it's profitable, if you're looking to sell, I do have contact with some national, nationwide buying um, buyers. Mm -hmm. And you can send me an email, josh at sendjim.com. I just wanted to throw that out there because um, they are looking for more opportunities right now. Um, but let's re recap. You know, what makes your business sellable? Uh, earnings, systems, documentation, and earnings, again, not a typo, right? Let's focus for a second on systems and how that makes your business sellable. Um, with systems, you basically have, in my, the way that I did it, three different departments for your business. You have sales, service, and operations. And Chris, you had, I think, uh, in the first webinar we did, you described that you had, I think, five different areas for your business. Uh, yeah, same, same basic idea. I just pigeonholed them a little bit deeper, finance, operations, marketing, management, and product. Okay, perfect. And yours, that's better. I mean, I'll just, no doubt about it. it. The way you did it's better. I just happened to have built my company this way, but drilling it down into separating marketing and sales totally makes sense. So whichever way you decide to do it, guys, here's the key. To have a sellable business, you need to make all those areas function without you. And when you can't do it all, all at once when you're first starting, so you do it one at a time. And if you can't do a whole department function without you right away, then you do one p 
portion of that department, one thing after another. You delegate and dole out the task to other people and constantly make progress and then you get out of sales and maybe you have a new sales guy and then maybe you get out of service and then you have you know crews doing all the work and then operations you get off the phone you're not scheduling stuff anymore right so you slowly remove yourself from all of those areas that's how you build a sellable business you systematically remove yourself from the day-to-day in those categories or departments and start out by creating an mvs it's a minimum viable system it can be two sentences. It doesn't have to be something complex, right? You do it one step at a time. It does not have to be rocket science at all. If you need help, reach out to us, right? You can use our software. SendGym.com helps you automate certain areas of your business. AutomateGrowSell.com is an online business boot camp that helps teach you how to do this step by step. It holds your hands, walks you through almost 50 training modules. TheWCRA.com is a handcrafted uh, trade association for window cleaning professionals that links you together with like-minded people and provides you templates and documents for everything you need to do this already in one repository in one central place. We talked about systems a lot in the previous webinar, but I can't stress enough really how important they are. And think about think about starting with the the service systems first you know what what should what should happen on a job site what happens when you get there how do you greet the customer how do you complete the work how do you get out of there you get that set up first you can replace yourself with a helper get a little free time in your life and then you can really dial into the other areas absolutely i i agree 100 percent it's kind of getting old saying the word system so much like i'm driving myself crazy (laughs) But that's the key. That's what a, a profitable business is. It's a series of little systems built on top of each other that creates a giant mechanism or machine that creates earnings. That's, that's really what it is. And so it's a, it's a mechanism to kick off cash flow and earnings. And you need to make it work without you, um, it depending on you. The next thing you need to make your business sellable, guys, other than systems, is documentation. You need to have good books. I'm going to give you just a few examples of some of the documents you would need to do a a, a transaction of selling your business with a semi-sophisticated buyer, right? And that should always be your goal uh, because that's where you're going to get the highest price. Uh, You need to have your financials in order, your books, your your taxes, your expenses, your earnings, all the reporting, income statements, your P&L, all that stuff. You need to have access to those things easily. The easiest way to do that is to... Use a good CRM that offers that or use QuickBooks or hire an accountant to take care of all that stuff so that you can pull reports in a moment just by uh, sending an email or clicking a button. It'll make it that much easier to put more work on your schedule when you have these things in place as well. And I would suggest trying to get them all done in one software. It could be something like QuickBooks, like Josh mentioned. It could be something as simple as the free Google Drive, as long as you're keeping good records. And for the most part, they're all located in one centrally accessible place. Yep. And you can start simple. It doesn't have to be complex. Uh, Another document you'll need is an asset list, right? So an asset list lists out all the stuff your business owns, all the trucks, all the ladders, all the hoses, all the whatever, the carpet cleaning machines, the lawnmowers, the the gas cans, the whatever, the trailers, right? The computers, the iPads, the work shirts, the coffee maker, all of it, the desks, right? I could go on and on. You need to list out what what it owned, um, what it is owned, pardon me, and then 
what is its current market rate if you were to liquidate it right away, right? Yeah, so well, a, what did you pay for it? What can you resell it for if exactly. need be? Exactly. So and, and it's going to be like you paid 100 and it's worth 40 you know, because of depreciation. So you, you want to keep these things updated because it just helps you be able to provide a snapshot of the health of your business and the assets of your business in an easy way. And once you make it the first time, super easy to update it. And it only takes a couple minutes. Okay, and then thirdly operational info. This is the binder Chris was talking about. You need to have a binder. Now, if it's a really little skinny binder to start out with, that's awesome. You're still in the top 10% of people if you even have a little skinny binder. Um, most people have no binder. They, they don't even know they're supposed to have a binder. So You gotta have a binder. You gotta have the binder. That's like, that's some sort of metaphorical representation of of systemization success is, you know, having some sort of a binder and it can be a digital binder. You know, Google drive could be your binder, right? Just have a repository with all of the operational info. Who does what job? What are the job titles that exist in your company? List out what they're supposed to do every day. What are the logins for each person that does the thing? Where's the work log for the guy that does the other thing? All that stuff. Have it. What are the key responsibilities? What, what four or five metrics help you determine if they're doing the job the right way? All that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. But start with what you can think of uh, to start out with and go from there. Uh, fourthly, employee records. This is boring stuff that people don't want to deal with, but it's a really big deal to have you know, a drug test consent form, a driving record check form, a background check consent form, a non-compete agreement if you want that, having other legal stuff, having them fill out a direct deposit slip you know, that's compliant with all the guidelines or whatever. It can feel overwhelming. You can access a lot of this stuff either through my uh, online training series because i provide it to you or you can get it do they have that in the wcra chris yeah absolutely the it's legal all stuff is all in there employee handbooks all the stuff's already built so if you don't want to build it by hand just go get it at the the wcra.com and you can just have it instantly um, you need to have the sales channels uh documented you know how where when do you get sales how do you make your phone ring specifically you know if you put a hundred dollars into the fuel tank of your direct mail campaign, what does that produce for you in phone calls, right? And how many sales does that turn into? That whole funnel, that process um, is an important part of your documentation. You also need to have good customer records and statistics. I used to I used to kind of overproduce documents, Chris, because I just like to look at stuff. And like, yeah. I just love to look at like, the average job per category, per service, per time of year, and then like break it out by zip code. And I would have like geocoded customer maps of, of like little pins all over the state of showing me where, you know, and the more you have, the better, but you can start with something basic where you have how many active customers do you have? How many inactive customers do you have? Right. And define that however you want. Maybe uh, someone that hasn't hired you in the last 12 months is inactive. Someone that's hired you in 12 months is active. Whatever. Have that somewhere. Yeah, the better the records you, you keep on number six there, the easier it is for you to make money in the future. Now you can keep track of what you charged them, how long it took, how many man hours, what their dog's name is, yes. uh, all that stuff. It's the, the more you have, the easier it is to get them to come back to you in the future. Absolutely. We were big on the whole dog's name type concept. I mean, let's say that a crew goes to do a job and the customer says, hey, you know, I know this is your first time here, but 
can you please make sure to close the back gate when you leave the backyard? And so the, the crew leader, because you have a system, he says, not a problem, Mary. He immediately grabs his iPad, updates his work log, must close the back gate when going in the backyard. Okay. Then a year later, a different crew shows up and they walk up to her and they say, oh, and Mary, don't, don't worry at all. I do have a note here that we're going to make sure we close your back gate when you're in your backyard. Boom. Can you, amazing amazing that lady is never leaving your company ever ever you just floored her you floored her with that little piece of data that you just jotted down went into the computer and it was printed off on the next work order ne- that that never happens anymore you know i feel like in 1940 like that was kind of what normal levels of service were but like now people are so bad at really caring about anything that if you just do little stuff like that People just freak out, and they're just it's huge. It's huge. I, I can't say that enough. So, over record records. Keep track of stuff that you might not ever need anyway, just to have it. You never know how you'll use it in the future. Um, number seven: insurance and legal stuff. You know, if you have an insurance claim, keep records of all that stuff. Um, any other kind of legal stuff? I don't know. There's a whole laundry list of things that you'll need uh, to have if you do try to go through the purchase of a sale. I'm sorry, through the process of a sale. And then eight, market analysis. I was big on visualizing, okay, where my company was, where we were strong, where was our emerging markets, where where were we just starting to get a presence, where where is our biggest future growth going to lie geographically. And then I would make maps and charts and have all that stuff. And for a potential buyer, that is a huge piece of data, and it really makes you look good and sets you up. So if you can give them a competitive analysis, here's where I am, here's where the people around me in my market, here's the differentiators, here's how big our company is, here's how big their company is, here's all the zip codes, here's where the future opportunity is, here's where we're saturated already. Having all that in a two, three, four-page document is a powerful thing. It's it's such an important thing, and a lot of people overlook that. It's something you should maybe spend uh, one or two days on once a year, doing market analysis. You know, we'll, how, we'll, how big's your service area? What what's the median household income in each of these zip codes? Is there new competition? Uh, popping up? What is their reach? What kind of work are they capable of handling? But more importantly, when you do go to sell it, one of the first questions the person is going to ask you is, "What's what could I grow this to? Okay, you're doing X. Can I triple it? And you want to be able to tell them, yeah, and you can do it right here. Yep, absolutely. And these things shouldn't be guesses. You can find the stuff out. You can figure it out. There's population data. It's all public record. Housing data, income data. A lot of that stuff's public record or you can get it for cheap. You can network with other business owners. You need to understand your market so that you can dominate in every category. And I view business as a big competition. And every single stupid little tiny detail matters. And I treat it like a a direct competition. Like the way we answer the phone should dominate the way that the other company answers the phone. And if they get good at it and they raise their game, then I'm going to circle back and retool it to make it even better. Like every little stinking thing needs to be laid out. So the more detail with all this documentation, the better. It's only going to make your business worth more money and be more profitable even if you don't sell it. Okay, so what makes a business sellable is earnings, systems, documentation, and earnings. Okay, let's break down some five key points here. You need to build the brand Paco or whatever I said, the Pablo, that's what I called him. (laughs) Pablo. (laughs) He, 
he he didn't build a brand. He just kind of built himself, you know. Or or maybe he was trying to build a brand, but one year isn't really enough to do that. Uh, he needed a little more time. I have a really funny story about me building the brand. In year like two, approximately, I was at a job. I was working uh, with a team, and we were doing some work. And the owner of the house came out to me and pulled me aside and said, uh, son, you really need to tell your boss to get some new tires on that truck. That's not safe. And, like, I just looked at him and, like, had this inner smile. I looked at him all serious and said, oh, I'll do that, sir. Absolutely. Inside, I was like, yeah! What? Like, yes! <laughs> it was, like, the greatest accomplishment. And the guys I was working with had no idea why, why I was being such a weirdo about this. But... I, I was just a really good crew leader to this guy. I was just an yeah. employee of the brand. I never cared if people knew I was the owner. Who cares? Why is everybody so obsessed with that? Don't build your ego. Build your business. Yeah, keep keep your keep your name out of the company name. Keep you independent of it. Uh, like Josh, I would never tell anybody that I was the owner. If they came out and asked me, I would tell the truth. But I, I never divulged that information willingly. It was always just super interesting to see what the homeowner's response and feel would be to my company with them not knowing that it was my company. Cause you know, they, they talk to the employees in the house, they do stuff like that. It, it, it's funny, you know, everybody that's small wants to be big and everybody that's big does a lot of things to try and be small. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Imagine you're a customer, right? And you know that the guy doing work for you is the owner. He better be amazing, right? Obviously, he's going to be the best. Obviously, he better do a great job, right? But now contrast that with a scenario where the homeowner absolutely has no idea that you're – they just think you're an employee, okay? But you're still the man because you are the owner, but they don't know that. And you perform at a high level and you do the little things and you take notes and you do the right thing when no one's looking and all that. How much more impressed is someone because an employee was amazing rather than, yeah, this guy who's the owner was amazing. So Exactly. It's a powerful trigger and people will refer your company more. It's so, so good for your business to have that mentality. So if you don't have that mentality now, just start tomorrow. Just stop talking about it, you know? Call yourself a crew leader. Um, number two, learn to develop leaders. This sounds like a pretty standard thing but like almost no one does it most people um well i'd say a lot of people focus on being a manager instead of a leader they they just boss people around look if you don't do it my way then you can find a new job and if you're five minutes late then you can just don't even come to work and blah 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 blah. right you need to be like a coach everybody wants to be the quarterback so that they can get the glory but you need to instead be the coach of your team, right? You're, you're more of a cheerleader than the quarterback, and you need to hand the ball off and turn the keys over to other people that work for you, even though they're going to be imperfect, even though they're going to make mistakes and not do it like you did. you got to do that. The earlier, the better. Get it out of the way. Get it underneath your belt and start to develop leaders. And eventually, you can get it to the point where they're, they're way better at it than you ever were. And I feel like I had a lot of success in this area, and... As I reflect on it, I think it's because I never, ever once told anybody to do anything, ever. I never said, do this. Hmm. I always would ask people to do things. Hey, could you do me a favor and grab that over there? Little things like that go so far. 
Yeah, when you're a leadership development coach slash cheerleader, cheerleader type, you know, business owner, you're going to engage your employees with a different mentality and tone and passion. If you're a manager and your job is just to get the thing on your plate, off the plate, and get everybody home and go eat dinner, and you only care about getting to the weekend, and if that's your mentality, it's going to be hard to grow a big business, and you certainly aren't going to have a sellable business because if you invest in people through being relational and treating them like human beings and <laughs> actually caring about their kids and their goals and their wife and all that, if you go to that level with it, you're going to have a more sellable business in the long run because as you step away, guess what that person's going to do? They're going to take the person below them and they're going to care about their kid's name and care about their what, what their wife's goals are and care about where they're doing with their life. And guess what that does? It builds a strong company culture. It makes you more profitable. It's just it's powerful. You got you got to invest in people. And there's some risk to doing that because people will take advantage of you sometimes. People will burn you sometimes. But to me, it's always the way to go. Yeah. And one thing not mentioned yet here, but it sort of ties into this is when somebody comes in to buy your business, one of the first thing things they're going to look at is the roster of employees. And not only are they going to talk to some of them on a one-on-one basis, likely, but they're also going to look and see what your turnover rate is. If you're turning people over left and right and don't have good relationships with people and long-term employees, it's going to make it more difficult to sell or you're not going to get what you want for it. It's a huge red flag. If you have a a poor um, leadership environment, it's a much more risky buy for the person trying to buy your business. I had a whole page when I sold my company dedicated just to breaking down. I had pictures and basically biographies of all the key employees inside the company. And you're right. They all got interviewed. And they get interviewed and they get asked about me. You know, yeah. What was Josh like? How did he handle conflict? How, what's it like to work for him? How, you know, I have a meme on my Facebook page right now that says, you know, would you want to work for you? answer that question right do you suck to work for if so you're not going to have a very sellable business because people are going to be waiting for the first opportunity to bail and get out of there totally a buyer's one of their number one fears is going to be all right i'm going to buy this and two weeks later there's going to be a mass exodus with 20 other people running out to start their own company yeah, that's a serious risk. It's a real life thing, man. I when my mom is a hairdresser and that's a that happens like a ton in that industry for some reason because all the the caddy drama, I don't know how that all the dynamic of it, but someone would buy a, a salon and all of the hairdressers would leave at the same time like in a coordinated like bombing attack to just destroy the guy's new investment like if they said uh. something wrong or if he if he made a new rule that didn't like it's like they'd unionize up and like just bail. And the, you don't want your business to have an environment like that. And that starts with one-on-one relationships with key people. That's, that's how you yeah. do it, one at a time. And focus on metrics. Number three, focus on metrics. Chris, I focused on metrics. You are even more obsessed with metrics than I am. How important is that in having a sellable business? Super, 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 super important. Now, there should be a handful of metrics that you have that you can literally run the business just by looking at these. It could be so many different things. You have to figure out for yourself what are the important metrics. A lot of mine were uh, amount of work booked that day, amount of work booked in the future. What was our runway? How much How much work did we have scheduled in front of us? Um, 
I looked at things like collection ratios, completion ratios. You should be able to run your business based off a handful of numbers, KPIs, you could call them, key performance indicators. And those are going to be super important to have when you do decide, if you decide to turn it over to somebody at some point. They're going to want to see what those are. They're going to ask you. They're going to say, what are are the five most important numbers that you have in your business? Right. And, And here's another thing. You need to know your metrics at all times. And whatever ones you decide are are the ones you want to hone in on. For us, it was daily revenue, weekly revenue, monthly revenue. And it was was also on callback rates and quality. We had a whole board dedicated with, you know, the name of the customer and under the cruise column, you know, for callbacks that every, we all saw it together. It was part of our weekly meeting. It was something we focused on. Whatever your metrics are, include your whole team on them, or at least on some of them. And make it part of your daily conversation. You know, are we on pace or are we off pace with this or this or this or this? You should know your metrics like the back of your hand. If I if I come up to you, if I'm asking you on this webinar right now, hey you, what's your target crew hour per rate? What is your actual crew hour per rate? What's your average ticket? What is your monthly revenue goal for 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 next year this time? What's your monthly revenue goal for next October? What's your you should, you should have all that already in your brain because that's the world you need to live in. You need to behave like an executive CEO of your company, even if it's just you. Even if you're the only employee and you're still cleaning stuff and, and mowing lawns and doing whatever, you still need to know your numbers, right? Uh, you should be able to spit those metrics out in the blink of an eye that somebody asks you. Right. The KPIs. I love it. That's in the software business. That's a huge keyword. You know, your key performance indicators. Is the business healthy? Is it sick? Is it old? Is it young? Is it growing? Is it dying? Is it shrinking? What What is it doing? All those numbers, They numbers don't lie, baby. And uh, your numbers will keep you honest and it'll keep you focused on where you're trying to go. And it'll keep you profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, too. The majority of people you ask, I guarantee if you did a survey, are focused more on vanity metrics. You know, all right, we made X amount in raw revenue this month. But, you know, that doesn't matter really. Yeah, it's very true that you, what you keep is what matters, not what you make. And just like we said with Pablo, he did a hundred grand, but he his earnings were negative 15000 after we figured out all the stuff. So, you know, he's not going to walk around and say, hey, guys, I started a business and I lost fifteen grand in earnings. No, he's going to be more prideful and he's going to tell everybody that he just did a hundred grand. But the truth of the matter is his business was not profitable yet. And that's okay and it's normal. But you need to be hard on yourself and focus on the real numbers, not on the vanity numbers. That's very true. Um, Number four, execute. You need to just do the stuff. Make sure your team are following the plan. Make sure the quarterback is completing passes, right? If your key people aren't performing, that doesn't necessarily mean you got to cut them loose, but if there's a little negativity in there, if there's a little cancer going on, you might have to cut it out. You might have to do a little surgery, right? You need to be decisive and you need to be ruthless and you need to let no one get in your way of making these systems happen every day and hold people accountable to them. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, it's much, much easier to execute if you are focusing on the metrics because you know, you know. That's and, true. And you can make it – the discipline stuff can be about the metric, not just on your daily whim. Like today you're mad that someone got a call back, but you never mentioned it last week, right? But instead, if it's part of your culture that, look, callback rate, this is our expectation, is to be this, this number or less. If it's less than that, we're going to have a meeting. If it's less than that two times in a row, then we write you up. And then whatever the case is, the bad guy is the metric, not you just shooting from the hip, right? 
Exactly. Same thing exactly. with kids. With my kids, it's like, we. I, I haven't done this yet, so I can't say that I've done it, but I, I plan on it. There needs to, we're going to have this like whiteboard where when they do certain things, like they talk back or they disobey something or we told them to do it and they didn't do it or whatever, it, I kind of just make up punishments based on how stressed out I am that moment. <laughs> oh, no. Please don't tell me you're going to roll out a, uh, a uh, merit system for your kids. You're going to be doling out demerits? Not, not that hardcore. I'm not going to get that weird with it because we have a pretty <laughs> lighthearted household, but... Like, one time, like, my kid will disobey me, and I'll be like, you lose, you know, game time for a year. And it's, like, totally inappropriate proportional punishment because I'm, like, having a bad day. But then the next time they do it, and I don't even care because I'm like, what, you know. The point is, is that with your employees, there needs to be a predefined way that everything works. And that becomes, not the bad guy, but that becomes the measuring stick. When this, mm-hmm. if you do this, if this number dips here, then this is what happens. If it goes here, then you're rewarded, and this is what happens. That's about execution. Uh, make it about the plan. The key really is is knowing it all in advance too. Like they should be very aware of this system, so they can keep themselves up and below that line, whatever it may be. Yes, that's really what I was trying to say in a really long winded version. They they need to know what what you guys are trying to do, where you're trying to go. And that has a lot to do with execution. Everybody needs to be on the same page, in the same boat, all rowing in the same direction. And it's your job to make sure they understand. <laughs> right? Exactly. So yeah. build a machine, not a job. Number five, build a machine, not a job. Hey, thanks for hanging out, friends. And from all of us here at the Quick Talk Podcast team, we hope you love today's show. We hope that you were inspired to become a doer and not just a listener. Apply what you've heard today in your own business and watch things change for the better. Lastly, remember that all the money in the world can't save your soul. Seek first the kingdom of God, my friends. We'll see you next time. For more information about the Quick Talk Podcast or Joshua's other businesses, visit our website, quicktalkpodcast.com. Have a blessed day.